It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the podcast that kind of has a new name. This is now the Shakespeare's Pizza Events and Catering podcast presented by PowerMizzou. So we take second billing thanks to Shakespeare's Pizza, which, uh, you know, Mitchell... There's a tailgate this weekend. The Masters is this weekend. Like, we've got about 48 hours to work some way to get a bunch of Shakespeare's Pizza in front of us for those events. Absolutely. And I do not need much encouragement to uh, put Shakespeare's Pizza in front of me. It's the best pizza in town. It's a Columbia institution. Uh, I recommend the Pandas Pepper. It is uh, basically everything on the menu that involves the word pepper. Pepper jack cheese, pepperoni, banana pepper, green pepper, jalapeno pepper. It's delicious. They have a lot of other good pizzas as well eat their food well i recommend that when you're like 23 24 when you get to 41 42 <laughs> that might cause some problems but in all seriousness shakespeare's pizza vincent catering is presenting this podcast now and look you all know about the restaurant they got one on broadway they got one on west uh, i'm sorry on west broadway they got the downtown location they've got the location out south you can always go in there and have pizza but what shakespeare's is also doing now they're going to cater your special events and parties. They can do pizza parties for anywhere from 25 people to, this is not a typo, I double-checked, to 2,500 people for 5 to $8 a person. It's incredibly reasonable for really good food. Again, I don't know if anybody listening to this podcast knows 2,500 people. <laughs> I absolutely don't. But if you know 25 people, Shakespeare's will cater your event uh, they also have private event space in any of their restaurants for 35 to 100 people. It's free most days. When they're very busy, there might be a modest rental fee for that space. They will bring it to your location, and they are going to get a, a specific page for their catering and events. However, for right now, there are two ways you can figure this out. You can go to Shakespeare's.com, or as Kurt told me, you can Google it, and if you want to find Shakespeare's, you're going to find Shakespeare's on the Internet. Uh, but, again, Shakespeare's Pizza, catering and events, you can go there. They can bring their pizza to you. I actually, many years ago, uh, my son had a uh, had a party called the Shakespeareans at Shakespeare's, and they let you cook your own pizza, which wow. it, it's not very hard, but there's also something to be said for just calling and have them bring you pizza for 2500 people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm not sure I want to uh, cook my own pizza anymore, but, it, you know, as a youngster, it might have been a good time. I, right now, I'll leave it to the experts. <laughs> exactly. So I want to thank Shakespeare's uh, for sponsoring this podcast. We will have a relationship with them going forward and easy to uh, easy to go into partnership with people that, seriously, far too much of Power Mizzou's revenue, revenue has gone to uh, Shakespeare's Pizza over the years so thanks to them but a loaded podcast this week we are going to talk to head men's basketball coach Conzo Martin head women's basketball coach Robin Pinchton and also uh, NFL draft hopeful Demarie Crockett uh, is going to join us on the podcast as well so this is like a, a first we have three guests uh, and look when when they say yeah I can do it this week you just say okay and so we're going to probably go more than 30 minutes we should have got Shakespeare's to cater for our loaded lineup this week we are happy to welcome in Mizzou head women's basketball coach Robin Pinchton, somewhere between St. Louis and Columbia on the way back from New York. Uh, Robin, you've had a had a busy couple days here. I have, and uh, I just appreciate the opportunity to visit with you guys. Uh, what an exciting time for Sophie, and certainly an exciting time for our program. So 
busy, but uh, definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, it, I want to start with that, obviously. I mean, just what's it like sitting in the draft room at the table with, you know, one, kind of the, the face of your program? Just what was that day, day and a half like in New York for you? Well, just, you know, what an incredible accomplishment for Sophie and just so proud of her. I think, you know, I've known her for so long. She committed when she was in eighth grade, so I feel like I've known her uh, over half her life, and I knew that this was a dream of hers and, um, you know, something we talked about in the recruiting process. And so to see the fruits of her labor pay off is just uh, pretty pretty incredible and uh, just so happy for her and her family. And she's worked so dang hard and has done things the right way and has obviously done so much for our program and in this university and community. And I'm excited for this next chapter in her life, really excited for her. Robin, obviously one of the more unique aspects of the WNBA is, you know, she doesn't have a, a whole ton of time to celebrate here. The 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 uh, effort to kind of make the, the Phoenix roster will kind of begin in earnest. What what have you told her, if anything, about just kind of, you know, what she needs to do to, uh, to, to put herself on that roster? Well, you know, with the WNBA, it's so darn tough. I mean, only 12 teams, 12 roster spots, I think, last year. Um, and don't quote me on this, but I, I think it was only nine of the first round drafts um, stuck on their teams. And so it's a pretty elite, tough league to play in. But, you know, I think for her, the best thing that she can do to put her in a position to have success is um, come in in great shape. You know, she's going to report here in a couple weeks. And, you know, that conditioning piece is such a huge factor. And then, you know, I encouraged her to get with um, Diana Trossi as soon as she can and just really try to pick her brain and, you know, understand her schedule, her routine, uh, the way she goes about um, doing what she does and, and really use her as a, as a mentor. And I, and, you know, I think Sophie's really excited about that. She understands, you know, it's a whole nother level, but you know, we all know Sophie, she shines the most when she's on that big stage with that big, uh, big light shining. And so I, she's a competitor and I think she's going to, she's going to go in there and, give it everything she's got, but I think coming in, in in great shape, you know, it's not like you're going to add a lot to your game in the next two weeks, uh, <laughs> but you can control that conditioning piece, and that's going to be really important for her. get her legs back and make sure that that shot feels good. Obviously, Sophie ends the season as, as the all-time leading scorer and really did put her best foot forward there in your all's last few games, and wanted to ask you, kind of going back now with a couple weeks to reflect, I mean, my guess is that you would say it's fair to characterize this as a good season for your program that that probably left a little bit out there as far as you didn't quite break through and host quite break through to that second weekend, but overall a, a season that you're happy with, but would have maybe liked a little more? Golly, I think you're spot on. <laughs> uh, you know, again, really proud of, uh, you know, our accomplishments, and it was a it was a big year. We had a lot of different pieces and, you know, got Sierra Porter back uh, around Christmas time. And that was a huge addition. But when you look at the teams that we lost to, I think all of them, but one might've been in that NCAA tournament. And so it, it was a, a, a tough um, schedule for us, but I think the growth and the resiliency, the way we faced adversity was really positive. Uh, I think, you know, hurting Akira down the stretch or with Akira getting hurt down the stretch that really, uh, I think, impacted us. I think she could have been a, a little bit of a game changer in some of those games. But, you know, that happens, and you've got to, you know, deal with the cards that you're dealt. And, um, and I think our kids did a good job. I'm, I'm really proud of them. And I love 
the fact that we all have such high expectations now. You know, you look back to four years ago, and if we would have said you're going to win 24 games, we'd be really proud of that and think it was a great year. But the, the standards have been set. The expectations are higher. And nobody has higher expectations than, than we do as a staff in our program. And so, uh, yes, I think it was a very good year. Um, but is there more out there? Without a doubt. And um, some of those losses came back to haunt us for sure when it came back to hosting. Obviously, you know, anytime you lose a, a leading score in program history, it's going to be, you know, difficult to replace. Uh, but you all also lost a couple other seniors who started in Sierra Porter and Lauren Aldridge. Just what, what are the biggest challenges of, of replacing that production while trying to keep those, you know, meet those expectations that, that you raised over the last few seasons? Right. So, well, I mean, they've all impacted our program in such a big way. When you look at that senior class, I think they won over 70% of their games, which, you know, is, is very impressive. Um, and, and their body of work has just been so outstanding to elevate our program. Um, but, you know, you got to deal with graduation and losses. And so, you know, it's a new opportunity for some other kids to step up. And, and I think, our, you know, we, getting Akira healthy is going to be key. Um, but I, some of our other returners, too, I think they understand what we're losing. We've talked about it. Uh, they've got to embrace it. It's all about the off season, And it certainly helps to bring in the recruiting class that, you know, we've got coming in. We've got some pretty elite-level kids and still adding to our roster, still in the mix with some pretty good kids out there. So um, every year is unique and different, and you got to put the pieces together. But uh, we'll look a little bit different. I think it'll be a little bit more well-balanced. But I know our kids understand what's in front of them and, and the work that we need to put in. I want to talk about that future in, in a couple minutes with Robin Pinchton, Missouri's head women's basketball coach. But uh, going back, first of all, one of the one of the girls in the room last night with Sophie was Megan Gustaf- Gustafson from Iowa. And I, I watched that game, and I thought, that's how people who watch George Mikan play basketball like 50 years ago must have felt. Like, nothing <laughs> jumped off the page, but every single time she shot the ball, it went in. I mean, just just having an up-close view of her, what, what was it that, that made her so tough to play? Yeah, I just, you know, she's so fundamentally sound. Um, she's She does it against everybody. I mean, consistently throughout the course of the year, obviously, being named player of the year, um, you know, she didn't just do it against us. She's just mm-hmm. very, very uh, fundamental, and uh, she doesn't miss much. I mean, she gets angles. Uh, she does a great job. Her footwork is outstanding, gets good angles, and uh, is also a very good passer. And, and so she's she's – uh, had a tremendous career and, um, you know, really happy for her too. Uh, she was, I think in that game, again, go, not talking specifically about Megan, but I do think Akira could have been a little bit of a game changer for us. And, and, you know, that was unfortunate because I think this entire roster wanted to make sure Sophie ended on the note that, you know, she deserved to end on, but looking back on the season and her career, I don't think she'd change anything. Yeah. We want more, but what a successful career she had in our senior class had. And one of the things about the women's tournament, I mean, it, it's come a long way as far as parity from, you know, when UConn went like 190 and one, that was just a few <laughs> years ago, but I, it, still the regional finals are all the one and two seeds. And I, I understand it's a necessity to play a lot of these games on teams, home courts. It obviously is why, why seating is so big, but how does women's basketball create a little bit more parity? Because it's very rare to see, not not just to Cinderella, but even somebody coming from like a seven seed like you all were to, to make that second weekend. 
Yeah, I think the seedings were interesting this year. Uh, that that Iowa City uh, region was awfully tough. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking with Lisa Bluter. She was at the draft, too. And, you know, just how tough of a bracket that was. I thought Drake was uh, underseeded. I thought we got underseeded. But um, playing on people's home court is, is really challenging. And that crowd was, they set an NCAA record. We played in a lot of tough venues. Uh, but that crowd was pretty electric. And there's certainly an advantage there. But, um, you know, there's also a revenue piece and, you know, trying to make sure that, you know, that's on point. It just makes it really challenging. But I think that's where our game's at. And as we can continue to grow our fan bases, that maybe it might travel a little bit more. You can go to more neutral regional sites, which I think would be huge. Robin, you mentioned the incoming recruiting class. There's a couple really highly rated uh, in-state products in there and Asia Blackwell and Haley Frank. How do you is that is that a challenge at all to to kind of make sure that that they you know don't feel like they have to do too much kind of coming right in with kind of the expectation that I, I think in some people's mind you know they're in a way taking over as, as the mantle that kind of Sophie left behind but you know that's obviously a lot to put on two true freshmen is it is it a challenge at all to to kind of make sure they don't try to do too much right away? You know I don't think it is for those two I think they're both uh, very similar to Sophie I mean Sophie was an elite level kid. Uh, she wanted that. She wanted that pressure. She wanted that opportunity. She wanted that stage. And, you know, I think both Haley and Asia are those same type of kids. They're very elite level kids. Asia's played with USA basketball. Uh, Haley's had an incredible career. And, um, you know, I think that's part of the reason they're attracted to coming here is to, to the torch has been passed and they want to continue to raise the bar. So I think they actually um, are excited about uh, the role that they potentially could play for us. Uh, they understand what we're losing, what the dynamics are. And we've talked about it a lot. And, you know, I think when you're an elite-level kid like that, you don't shy away from, from the opportunity that's in front of you. So, you know, we, we do. We have high expectations for them. But I think they're, they're excited about it, and that's a big part of why they want to be here. So much around Missouri, not just your sport, but, but really every sport, people have always made a big deal about being able to recruit the local kids. When you get an elite player in the state, making sure Mizzou is, is the place they want to play. Obviously, you did that with, with Sophie and, and Bree and Sierra, and now uh, both these two in-state players. Do you get a feeling over the last few years as you go around the state and talk to people that uh, how much your program has kind of risen in visibility and is becoming maybe a destination where these local kids don't see a need maybe to go somewhere else? Well, recruiting, excuse me, is always very interesting. And, you know, just every kid's looking for something different. And sometimes keeping the in-state kids home is the hardest thing to do because they think they want to get out and explore and and see something new and different. Uh, But I will say with the success that we've had, it's certainly uh, given us a, a seat at the table with these kids. And that's so important because the program's changed so much over the last five, six years. And so that certainly helps us with recruiting. But, um, you know, I think every program, every fan base is talking about the exact same thing, keeping your best players at home. Uh, sometimes that's easier said than done, but it certainly as a coach, you do everything you can to, to make sure that happens. Robin, uh, last question for me, at least. Um, you know, I know one of the, the storylines that got a little bit of, of publicity, but was a little bit secondary for some of this season was the health of uh, uh, Willie Cox is the recruiting coordinator for you all. Do you just kind of have an update? Uh, I think the last time we heard was uh, around the, the senior day. Do you have kind of an update on, on his health? 
I do, and thank you so much for asking. And I just, uh, you know, hope that people will continue to keep him and his family in their prayers. Um, it's been a really, really tough year, uh, very emotional for our team, for, for Coach Cox and somebody that I've been around for over, golly, 16 years. And so, you know, he's part of my family too. But um, he's he's been in Tulsa for, I think, just about the time of senior day. And so he's been there for a while. They've, they've done some tests and, and, um, you know, he's, he's hanging in, he's, he's, a he's tough. He's, uh, fighting right now. Um, I, I don't think we've got a, a great prognosis, uh, but I can tell you he's a fighter and, and he continues to keep battling, uh, such an ugly disease as cancer. Last thing, and obviously tough to to transition away from that, and and best thoughts obviously with Coach Cox. But you mentioned Akira Levy and uh, and also finishing out this roster. So on those two fronts, what's ahead of you the next few weeks? First of all, you know, is it possible Akira is ready for the beginning of next season? Or are you looking further? And then I understand you can't talk about specific kids, but just kind of traits. You know, what do you need to add to this team between now and then? Well, Akira's surgery went really well, and I think that the doctors are very um, confident that she'll have an opportunity to come back for next year. Now, you know, we've got to make sure we're putting her health at the forefront and not rushing things, but, you know, they feel pretty good about how everything went. Uh, She's got a really, structurally, she's in great shape, and so they definitely think there's a, a realistic shot that she'll be back, which, you know, certainly we hope is the case, but we're not going to rush it with ACLs. I think it's proven that the more time you can give them to heal, the stronger that they can come back and more success rate. Uh, so we'll have to just kind of wait and see on that. Um, but she's, she's doing really well. And as you can imagine, in good spirits and, and working hard on that rehab, you know, we'd still like to, to add one, one big. Um, and, and we're in a situation where I think we're in the top five with a, you know, a pretty elite level post player. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, there's been some, kids that have reopened their recruitment um, just because of some coaching changes. And then the portal has gone viral and (laughs) there's a lot of names in that, unfortunately. Uh, So there's still a lot of moving parts and a lot of things that could happen between now and, and uh, June with our roster. So we'll see how it all plays out, but uh, really in the mix with some pretty elite kids yet uh, that are still out there. So we'll see how it all pans out, but we're excited. We feel very optimistic. I feel like portal is like the college sports buzzword for 2019. We all figured out what that meant over the last few months. (laughs) (laughs) It's just incredible, you know, and I I think uh, certainly there's some situations that warrant it, but I, I think it's gotten a little bit out of control, and, and hopefully, you know, the NCAA and, and um, you know, women's basketball can can figure something that, that makes sense for everybody. But um, it is what it is, and there's uh, recruiting's never done in this business, and so we'll just keep plugging away and see how it all plays out. All right, Robin, appreciate you joining us and taking some time, and uh, best of luck over the summer. Hey, I really appreciate it. And just again, want to thank uh, just our fans this year. They've been incredible. Uh, you know, they've really been a great six man for us and we can't thank them enough. So thank you guys for your coverage. And uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Have a good day. Cody. Thanks Robin. Thank Robin pinched in Missouri women's basketball coach, uh, fresh off the WNBA draft. And um, I watched the WNBA draft. Well, like 45 <laughs> minutes of it anyway. I, I think good for us for, correctly last week when we tried to, and failed to name all the nba team wnba teams we did at least get the one that drafted sophie cunningham so hey, yes good for us yes <laughs> and uh i mean there's worse places to go than phoenix arizona yeah absolutely 
So, yeah, that is uh, done and moving forward. Like, I feel like Robin's got a program now. Next year is going to be interesting, though. Like, yeah. you just don't replace what they just lost. Right. Next year, I think, it, yeah, it's, a, it's obviously a very important year. You know, they, they built all this local support uh, kind of around, you know, the hometown team uh, aspect with with Sophie Cunningham and Sierra Porter, and obviously Sophie being kind of the biggest part of that. Um, and and now that she's gone, the question is, you know, can you keep winning and keep putting people in the stands? Uh, you know, obviously they they set some attendance records over the last four years, so it'll be a challenge to kind of maintain that. Um, you know, she mentioned they have some some in-state kids coming in that'll help, but I think obviously most important thing is to just kind of continue taking the next next step as far as winning and postseason success. Now we are going to switch sides. Just got done talking women's basketball with Robin Pinchton. Now the men's side of things. Head coach Conzo Martin taking some time, and Conzo, uh, I mean the final four is over. You just sit back and relax now for about six months, right? I wish. Uh... <laughs> I mean, the goal obviously is one day to be playing in that game. I thought it was a very exciting game. Uh, happy for Virginia's program. Yeah, I wanted to start asking you about that. I mean, this tournament, you know, a lot of people look at that title game and think for maybe a program like you guys or, or a non-traditional power, like, hey, this proves that, that this can be done without top five recruits or without being kind of a blue blood. Do you, do you take that away from seeing Texas Tech and Virginia get there? Oh, without a question. And, again, but you – I mean, you, you need talent. Obviously, you got to have you know, two great coaches. You got to have talent, of course. Um, you, you have to have a, a philosophy and a style, but you also ha- have to have your guys on the same page as a team. But you know, both teams won. But it wasn't as if they walked out there with you know all freshmen on the floors because they had they had experience. They had guys that had been through it. I think you know Tech had three or four fifth year guys. I mean, Virginia, those guys have been together for at least three years. So they both had experience in doing what they do, and obviously they both play very well. Conzo, as Gabe kind of uh, alluded to, you know, this is still a pretty busy time for you all with, with recruiting. And, and it's just kind of interesting. Right now we have, you know, like 600 names in the in the transfer portal. Uh, we have, you know, you have uh, high school players who maybe went under the radar, graduate transfers. How much has, has kind of this, this recruiting time of the year changed just over the course of your coaching career with this kind of boom in transfers? Well, I think it's changed with, with, with guys um... – you know, just trying to figure out the best opportunities for themselves as, as young student athletes, and, and I don't think it's necessarily a problem. Now, there's certain situations where guys transfer and everything is uh, different, but I don't think it's necessarily a problem. You have to figure out what's best for you as a basketball player, and then you make decisions from there. But but what it does is, as a coaching staff, you know, re- you always say recruiting never stops, where well, it truly never stops because. There's always moving parts. Guys are coming and going, and you, you're watching when guys are fifth-year guys in, in other programs, you, you junior college guys, high school guys, prep school guys. So, so recruiting is all over the place, and I say that in a good way, but but it, it's what it is, and it's the culture. I'm not, and I, I don't say that in a bad way because times change, people change, things change, and you have to adjust to the times. Hey, do you as a coach now have to – I know different coaches approach this a different way. Some coaches always want to, like, make sure they leave a scholarship open for this late signing period when when weird things happen. Is that is that the approach you take, or is it just different every year? Well, the, the one thing I've, I've always said to our guys – now, in this this case for us, it's a little different because when you're taking over a program, you're building, you're creating a culture, there are things you're trying to implement, and you're trying to build your roster. But, but what happens is – uh, I always say to our staff, rarely if anything, you look at the last two teams that were standing, Texas Tech and Virginia, nobody really plays over 10 guys, if that. And I, and I said it before, 
you know, tournament play started, I thought Auburn had the parts to be one of those teams because they did have 10 guys. But rarely do teams play more than 10 guys. So you're talking 13 scholarship players. So those last three guys are guys that are young, are guys that maybe need the red shirt, a guy that's injured. But you, you have to be careful when you when you get 13 guys on scholarship and, and make them understand everybody's not going to play. So you have to be happy in your role, and you, and you have to grow into this role if you want to be a part of the team. But, you know, I, I, I've i gone a couple of seasons where we've had 12 guys on scholarship, uh, not intentionally, but it just kind of happened because I told our guys, let's not just bring a guy in just to have him in because oftentimes if you haven't built a relationship, you'll probably be leaving after the season's over. Well, speaking of recruiting, you all do have two players signed already in this class in in Mario McKinney and Trey Jackson. Now that you've kind of been able to shift focus uh, forward a little bit, how do do you kind of see them, you know, fitting into uh, next season and beyond? What are kind of some some expectations for them? Well, I think one, they're both talented players. And you you start with Mario, who's, you know, 6'2", maybe 6'2 and a half, really good athlete. He's fast with the ball, shifty, uh, sprints in transition, you know, elevates on his shot, gets to the rim, has the skill and ability to dunk the ball around the rim. Um, I think he has the tools to be an elite on-ball defender. Of course, you have to grow into that and learn all those things. But I think he has great skill set as far as athleticism to really enhance his ability to play from day one as a true freshman. Now, I think with Trey Jackson, you know, at least 6'8", maybe 6'9", now, uh, skilled, left. Both guys are lefties. Uh, can shoot the ball from the three ball. Can they drive the ball really operates well at the elbow area and at the top of the key. And I think he plays a level of toughness. And I think with both of those guys, they have a desire or a competitive spirit to, with the willingness to defend right now. And that, again, there's a lot that goes into it when you get to this level. But I think they both have a desire to be good defenders. So I want to ask you about a couple of the guys that you mentioned, guys sitting out a year. Um, it, Drew Smith, obviously a guy that, that wasn't able to play for you last year, but if you just kind of if you're not at practice every day but you're you're around you you hear a lot of talk about Drew Smith so i guess the the easiest way is just to ask i mean how good is this kid and and how good can he be for you next year well he's a good basketball player he's a good person he has he has really good instincts for the game of basketball on both sides of the floor he has a good feel he's he's he's, he's done a tremendous job in the classroom he's you know 64 strong body can play 1 2 3 uh, knows when to drive the ball, knows when to shoot the pull-up, takes open shots, uh, has great balance, great feel to his game, understands how to pass the ball, making decisions with the right and left hand. Uh, a tremendous addition to our program, and obviously comes from Evansville, uh, coached by Marty Simmons. Marty did a tremendous job coaching. His high school coach did a great job coaching him. But a guy that's also selfless in a lot of ways and, and, and understands the importance of what it means to be a part of a good team. And his goal is to be in the NCAA tournament, have success in doing that. But I really like being around him. Uh, it's refreshing being around him because, again, he plays the game. You know, people oftentimes say the right way, and I, and I think that can be misunderstood sometimes. But, but I think he does a good job of playing the game and trying to win and compete. Gonzo, the other guy who who kind of sat out last last season, slightly different reason is, is Parker Brown, incoming freshman who who redshirted this past season. How did he kind of develop throughout the year, and and you know what what maybe do you feel like he could potentially uh, provide in the future? Well, I think he gained one. He gained about 18 to 20 pounds from the start when he got here in June, last June. But I I think his ability to run the floor, his instincts to block shots, and that's the area that can improve our team, just that that part alone. And, you know, just like Drew, very intelligent basketball player, understands it, understands angles, reads defense, 
knows other teams' plays, know how to take situations away. Uh, just great instincts, great feel. I think the next part for him is just uh, he's, he's a quiet guy if you're not around him. So I think the next step for him is just being more vocal on the floor in areas that we need him to be because, like Drew, he's an intelligent basketball player, so you need that in areas to help you in critical situations. I think he has that in him. He's a guy that obviously came here as a walk-on with, with some other scholarship options, and I know it's been talked about maybe down the road. He's a scholarship guy. Is that is that a decision you've made for next year, or do you kind of have to see how things work out? No, I think I think we're close to that because I think he's a guy that uh, we feel like has earned that. We always want to make sure, and obviously you, we still have enough time here in the next month or so uh, to divvy out scholarships, but I think he's a guy. Uh, I think he's earned that right, and we will we'll continue to sit down and talk with him about that. So it's, it's not as if you're hanging a carrot over his head, because uh, I think he's earned that. We just want to make sure because we still have time to do that. So the one of the guys you got to replace uh, that that played his last game here is is Jordan Guys. To I know throughout this year, everybody called probably the most improved player in the SEC over the last couple seasons. I mean, just what are the challenges of replacing what that guy gave you? Well, I just think what happens, the one thing we talk to returning guys about, and they saw it, just a guy that worked himself into being a good basketball player at this level, a guy that dreamed of it from afar coming out of high school, but then he became one of the better guards, and which is, in my opinion, one of the two best leagues in the country. Uh, and just with a lot of work, a lot of work on his shot, his ball handling, decision-making, attacking the rim, playing with a level of toughness, not giving up, not quitting, uh, and I think for guys that that have the perception or the potential or the gifts of having more talent or athleticism than he has, uh, you would dream to say, if I can do some of the things that he did as a basketball player, I have a chance to be a great basketball player because guys maximize everything in him. So now you're talking about a guy that, that I'd be shocked if he doesn't play in the, the G League this season just because of what he brought to the table. Because everybody wants a guy like that that brings their hard hat every day. And he'll be a guy, one of our four seniors that will graduate with and uh, have his degree. So that, that part is even more impressive. Conte, you mentioned kind of the, the younger players looking up to, to Jordan Geis last season. You know, you had several of those those younger guys who kind of had to take on probably a bigger role than you maybe anticipated last season between Javon Pickett, uh, Xavier Pinson, and Torrance Watson just because of injuries and, and other stuff like that. You know, even though it wasn't maybe all uh, all fun at the time, how much do you feel like that playing time early on can, can kind of benefit them going into the offseason? Well, I think it's great because you just, you just see right now those guys in the gym all the time now. And, and and I think each one of them went through different things as the season went on, but they, they all want to be good basketball players. And I think they all, to a T, not only want to be successful for this program, but they want to make their families happy. And I always tell guys, when you lean on other things outside of yourself, you got a chance to be pretty good because – People are counting on you to be successful, not to make money off, but they want to see you be successful. And so that means there's a level of accountability in doing those things. And when you talk about Javon, he's a guy that finished strong in the season, which he, you know, was going through some injuries, but he fought through it. Ex-Pinson, playing at this level, how hard you have to play, competing at this level, uh, defending on this level, uh, taking care of the basketball, running the team at this level. Uh, he shot the ball really well, scored it well when he needed to score. So his growth as a basketball player. And then, Torrance Watson showed he can be as good as any guard at 6'4", making shots. And now what those guys seen after that freshman season, what it looks like, the competition level, how tough guys are, the, the accountability, taking care of the basketball, the discipline in which you have to play, the discipline in which you have to take care of your body on and off the court, what you're putting in your body as far as food and nutrition. 
And I think the biggest thing with all three of those guys, as well as other guys on our team, will be their weight room. I think that weight room is critical, and Nicodemus will do a great job for us there. Talking with Conzo Martin, head basketball coach, and you mentioned he thought the SEC was one of the two best leagues in the country. And, I mean, this offseason has been a little bit crazy, but, I mean, Buzz Williams is in this league now. Eric Musselman's in this league now. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse in the league. Just how over the last – and I know you were in Berkeley for part of it, so I don't know how closely you followed it, but how over the last four or five years has this league – gone from maybe where it was when you left Knoxville to, to where it is today, where a lot of people really do think it might be the best league top to, top to bottom in the country. I think Sankey did a tremendous job in, in, in his expect, expectations for the league. When you Then when you hire a guy like Dan Leibowitz from the standpoint of what we're trying to get done, and Dan, is, for those that don't know, he's kind of like the director of operations for all the basketball programs in the SEC, and he, and he does a tremendous job. He's, he's vocal, he's, he's visible, um, and, and they have a great message as far as what they're looking for is SEC basketball and the coaches in the programs, and they want to be elite. And I think it's shown in the last you know four or five years when you're talking about as many teams as we get in the tournament, we're only getting better. Conzo, I know uh, you know one of the the kind of bigger picture rule changes that that went into effect this season uh, is is a bit of a change in the evaluation periods for coaches. And I've seen uh, a little bit of, of chatter on Twitter that, that some coaches maybe aren't uh, thrilled with, with some of the changes as far as limiting evaluation times for coaches. Do you ha- have an opinion on, on the changes? Is that something that, that you feel as though maybe needs to be changed again moving forward? Well, I think that uh, changes will always take place. Now, whether it's a, a one or two year, three year span is it, it, to be determined. But I, I, I do like, um, I, I will say this. I think in men's basketball, it's, it's created more times and days for us. So there's really no downtime. So our sport is the one that goes all year round. It's nonstop. So for you as a coaching staff to try to find vacation time for your for your coaching staff to get away and be with their families, it's hard to find it. So you have to make time for that. But I, I like the part in June recruiting, even though it adds more to our plate. I like the June recruiting. So now the high school players can be with their high school coaches and now it's more like they plan, you know, high school games, but only in June. So you can evaluate from that standpoint. So that means, you know, if I want to go watch uh, a, a, a team tournament at uh, Missouri State or at SLU, I can go watch a team tournament in June because the NCAA rules says I can go in and watch. And I can't communicate with the guys. I have to treat it just like the month of July. And then you have uh, limited times in July because you have more times in June. So, I just think it, it, it's um, it's what it is. Um, I don't mind the recruiting part of it, but I've always been a guy that says you have to find time somewhere to have a dead period, meaning you cannot make calls, you can't recruit at least a week somewhere unless your staff and everybody can get away from it. Because as a head coach, you can make time to get away, but you owe it to your assistant coach to be able to get away and be with their families and, 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 and live a life. Because sometimes seasons can be so taxing and it's just nonstop and it can take a physical toll on your body as well as your mind long as we're talking about rule changes, I feel like the lasting image of this college basketball season is the officials going to a monitor to review something. Um, I, I saw some people joke that one shining moment should just be a shot of all the reviews. But is there talk among coaches like, how can this – I mean, the national title game turned on a review that – like that call's not made in the last 120 years of basketball. Um, is there – is this something that, that bothers you guys or do you just kind of deal with it? Well – you, I, I, I think with the officiating, officiating piece, it's a hard thing to do because everything is moving so fast. Right. Just like, for example, the call Auburn against Virginia when they hit off 
the foot of one of I forgot which guy hit off the foot of uh, Ty Jerome hit off his foot when he's Auburn was trying to cross half court. Well, the official that was supposed to see that play, he was looking up at the clock. So when he looked up at the clock, he couldn't see where it hit off his foot. So Ty Jerome picks it back up. It should have been Auburn's ball. So he did he missed that call. But I just think what happens, I, I think when it comes to officiating, they're trying to make progress because you give time to go look at the monitor. So at least, okay, let's try this again and put another set of eyes on it. And, and it's not an easy thing to do. I'd rather for them to, however long it takes, I'd rather for you to get it right. Because what happens, if you can go back and review and say, let's change this call, then Auburn would have probably been playing in a championship game. Conzo, just kind of as as you've you know gone through the past two years here, you've talked a lot about you know kind of building your culture and instilling your culture and building the roster the way you want it. You know, even coming off of a, a season that maybe results wise wasn't quite what the the uh, the previous season was, how do you feel like you've kind of made strides as far as just kind of implementing the culture you want to, in this locker room? Oh, tremendous strides! I mean, again, oftentimes you can't see it if you don't have the wins that you look for, but. It, I think when you fight through injuries, and everybody does that, so that's not an excuse, but when you, when you lose the level of talent that we lost and, and you, you already have enough, uh, it just takes a toll. So your margin for error with so many young guys is so slim. Now, you say, for example, something like that happens this season where you have older guys that have been through it, then that, that, that blow won't hurt as much because you have experienced guys that are battle-tested. They understand when you have when you got guys like X, Torrance, Javon, guys you count on for their production as true freshmen at, at this level. When the league is as good as it is, the margin for error is so slim. So now, in the process of us trying to speed those guys up, well, the wisdom comes with time. We, we, we want those guys to get it right away, but it just doesn't happen. But I like, I like how we finish. But I think the biggest key is that we talk about to our players and our staff, we have to get to the free throw line more. We have to, of course, we did a better job late in the season. We got to get the turnovers down. The goal is you got to get 10 or less turnovers down. You got to execute in every aspect. We have to uh, continue to improve shot selection for some guys, not all. And then defensively, you got to limit your fouls. Because I, I feel like we have a chance to be an elite defensive team, but you got to limit your fouls. You got to defend without fouling. So, all those small things that lead to big things. As you look at those last two teams, teams standing, they did the small things very well, and they were consistent at doing those things. I'm right, going to finish you up with two quick ones. Number one, I know you were out at spring football practice the other day, so uh, did, you, did you give Barry your evaluation of Kelly Bryant? I like him. He's a big guy. I, I didn't have to give Barry my evaluation. He told me to shut up and get out of there. So, <laughs> no, I just uh, I just, I just watch. I enjoy going over. Uh, just just unsolicited support. Because uh, just being a part of it, there's nothing to it. Uh, plus, to get out of the office. But, no, it was all good. Last thing, and, and you know we got to ask, uh, there, there's 10 days till the, the NBA uh, declaration or whatever. Do you do you expect a, a resolution here from Jonte in the in the next few days, uh, or kind of a feeling of what's going on there? Uh, well, he sent his information into the NBA, so that should come back here soon. Uh, and again, I, you know, I, with those things that are very delicate, I mean, of course, as a coach, you can flatline and say, "Give me a decision at this point." But 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 that's what's most important for Jonte and his family. And you have to respect that space and that decision. It's not an easy one for he and his family. Unfortunately, what happened to him. But I think he'll still have a great career. All right. Thanks, Conzo. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Conzo. Thank you guys for having me. All right. Conzo Martin, head basketball coach at Missouri. Like, I don't know. that. Like, look, we know Jonte's going pro here mm-hmm. at some point in the next, whatever it is, eight or nine days. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of indicates that, right? Right. I would say so. I mean, you know, he, he basically said, oh, I'm not going to say I need to know by this date, but it's 
probably going to happen here eventually. So. And he does need to yeah. know by the 21st <laughs> because true. the NBA needs to know yeah, by yeah, yeah. the 21st. So uh, appreciate Conzo joining us. Certainly appreciate Robin Pinchin uh, kind of wrapping up basketball season and we'll move more obviously into uh, recruiting, you know, SEC Media Days is now, what, three months from today, I think. So it's all kind of ridiculous. Uh, but we will be uh, moving on to that soon. Want to take a quick break before we finish things up on the podcast with Demaria Crockett and remind you guys again, this is brought to you by Shakespeare's Pizza Events and Catering. Pizza parties anywhere from 25 to 2,500 people as little as $5 a person. It's the best pizza in town. You can do something at their restaurants for up to 100 people. Again, they can they can bring the pizza to you for up to 2500 So make sure to go to Shakespeare's.com. You can Google them. You can drive around Columbia and find them. Uh, you can email them. You can call them, whatever. There are a lot of ways to get a hold of them. You can write a letter and send it with a pigeon to one of Shakespeare's restaurants. And they can cater your event, 25 people to 2500 people best pizza in town so make sure at some point if you're watching the masters this weekend if you're watching the nfl draft nfl draft next week there's going to be a lot of missouri guys hear their name called in all likelihood so get a bunch of your buddies together get some shakespeare's pizza get some like we got to find a beer to sponsor this podcast yeah well shakespeare's has that if you go there they so, do that it, yeah. it, it like i don't know if we're supposed to promote this we're just promoting their catering but like it's an excellent place to drink beer and watch a game. It is. Yeah, it's yeah. great all around. Also, I think that speaking of ways that we could incorporate Shakespeare's catering, we should cater it for the entire spring game. We should have. 2,500 sounds about right. Yes. Um, that would make it more fun. All right, so we're going to hit somebody up on that. Shakespeare's uh, cater the spring game. I don't know who we need to talk to, but we will certainly figure it out. We're going to finish things up today with former Missouri running back Demarie Crockett. Uh, the NFL draft starts actually two weeks from today down in Nashville. Quite a few Missouri guys should hear their names called. Certainly Demarie hoping to be one of them. And uh, appreciate you joining us, man. How you doing? Doing good, man. How you doing? How you guys doing? We're doing all right. And uh, before we get into kind of what you've been doing in, in these next couple weeks, just want, want to ask you, I don't think we've really had a chance to talk to you since you made the decision to uh, skip your senior year. Can can you just kind of tell everybody what went into that decision and, and how you came about it? So the main factors that went into the decision were, you know, since I got there as a freshman, you know, honestly, I had been planning to leave in three years anyway. So, you know, I was kind of sticking to that. And then I kind of looked at myself and measured myself up against the guys that were leaving, coming out this year at running back, and I just felt, you know, really comfortable with coming out with this group, you know, because I was just as big or bigger than most of the guys and just as stronger, stronger, and just as faster and faster. So I feel like it will be easier for me to stand out this year and this year's running back class because, to be honest, it's not as good as other running back classes, you know. Like, say, for instance, there's not like any – Saquon Barkley's, Leonard Fournette's, you know, Devontae Foreman's, you know, Darius Geis's. So I just really felt comfortable with coming out in this year's running back class. And then another thing that really sealed the deal for me was I researched it and talked to the uh, compliance administration about my degree and things like that. And the NCAA changed it, I think, a year or two ago, that if you leave in your third year, your scholarship will still pay for your school whenever you come back to get your degree. So my main thing is I still want to get my degree, and if I can leave and then still have that paid for, you know, I was just thinking, like, why not? Mm -hmm. 
Demaria, uh, you know, as you've kind of started to go through the process and I've talked to, you know, agents, scouts, everyone like that, what, what's kind of been the, the main feedback as far as what uh, people like about you and your game and, and what maybe uh, you've, you've had to kind of prove about yourself? So first we're going to start with the improvements. The things that they want me to improve on is in the past game and just going out and routes and running routes and things like that. They all tell me I catch the ball really well and I have soft hands, but they would just like to see me in the past game more. And then the things that they really like about my game is they like how I'm a downhill physical runner who has speed as well, and they like the fact that I can pass block and the pass protection. I've got to imagine at your size running, I don't know what the official number was, but somewhere right around a, a 4-4 at Pro Day. Uh, have you seen interest really pick up since then? Oh, yeah. It got really crazy <laughs> after Pro Day. It got really crazy. My agent was calling me daily and updating me and things like that, and he was obviously really happy. And I mean, I just talked to a, a ton of teams. Uh, after Pro Day, I was already talking to about 10 before Pro Day, but after that, it just doubled, like even yeah. more than doubled. So it was good. So so here's why – I'm going to tell you a little story. Here's why I enjoyed your Pro Day. When you were running your 40, I was standing back there shooting some video, and there were a couple girls there that – in the middle of your 40, one of them goes, where's his shirt at? And I said, man, if I was built like that, I wouldn't even own a shirt. So, you know. <laughs> so So you probably cut down on the drag there, though. <laughs> oh yeah uh demaria you know i know you had a few injuries during your college career the shoulder last year the the foot ankle this season has that been something that that you know uh pro personnel has kind of expressed as a concern at all and if so how do you kind of you know just tell them convince them that that's not going to be an issue i mean honestly it's a lot better than i thought it would be because i thought that guys would be really like discouraged by that but I mean, like, my thing to all the coaches were, like, they never really worried about it much and talked about it very much because I'm a bigger running back. And my thing to them was, I mean, I had a freak accident my sophomore year that was like one in a million to where I tore my right labrum. And then I just happened to get rolled up on this year at the beginning of the Tennessee game and sprained my ankle. So, you know, I just kind of, like, tried to simple it down, you know, because that's basically only – two injuries throughout my whole career. But, I mean, I don't feel like they were really worried about it too much, you know, because they weren't major injuries. Like, I mean, the shoulder labrum is like, you know, it's kind of a major injury, but it's not. We have so much technology and good doctors these days that that can be fixed easily. I wanted to ask you, I know a couple of your coaches have said they were a little bit surprised when you chose to go, but just uh, fans have asked me, and I kind of want to get your take. Just, I, I mean – Nothing wrong with the relationships at Missouri, right? Everything's good there. You just made a decision uh, that you thought this was best for you? Oh, yeah. And I feel like that's where a lot of people kind of got off track at. You know, they kind of thought that because my role changed on the team and things like that, that, you know, relationships and things weren't good. But it, honestly, it wasn't a problem. You know, I just felt like, like I said, my freshman year, I wanted to leave in three years, and I was just kind of sticking to that plan. Mario, uh, I know there's a couple – you know, former Mizzou running backs in the league and, and Marcus Murphy and well, he's, he's in the league and Russell Hansborough went went through the process at least, uh, played played a little bit. Ha, have you reached out to them at all? Have they been helpful uh, kind of in, in – and what have they told you? I actually haven't talked to them. You know, I haven't really honestly talked to anyone. You know, I mean, when I was up there training at MJP, you know, I was talking to guys like Jamal Adams, 
Amari Cooper and Leonard Fournette. And, you know, they were just telling me, you know, your this year, like your rookie year is going to be the longest year of your life. So <laughs> this is obviously going to be the hardest year. But they were like, the hardest thing, man, is just getting into the NFL. And they were like, once you get into the NFL, man, you'll be fine. It's just like, not just like college, but it's college just basically sped up. You know, considering all those guys I've talked to played in the SEC. So, I mean, that was just that. You know, they're saying it's pretty much like college, just sped up and guys are smarter. Finish up with you. What, do you have plans for the draft? I mean, are you going to watch it with family, or, or do you know what you'll be doing those three days? So, what I'm going to be doing those three days, I'm probably going to go home around the 23rd or the 24th. I'm still in Columbia right now, just training and working out. And I'll just – Honestly, just sit on my couch and watch the draft with my mom. Hey, good deal. Good deal. Last thing for you, I want to ask you about the guy that I guess now is kind of stepping into your shoes. Uh, how, how good can Larry be? Uh, and I, I know there's a lot of people that are already thinking, hey, maybe next year this time, maybe he follows your path and, and he could leave early. Man, I'm going to tell you something about Roundtree, man. Roundtree, he's a good football player, but an even better person. And I feel like he's, like, he's it for Missouri, like, that's like not saying that's all Missouri needs, but Missouri has everything it needs in that starting running back. He he's gonna run hard. He can run outside the tackles, inside the tackles, and he can pass block, man. And the thing I like about Larry is he brings a tough mindset to every game. And Larry, he's very mentally strong, so I'm really confident in him taking on that role. You know, just with him being the the sole leader in the running back role, I really feel like he can do that. And, I just feel like they're going to have a guy who can, if he stays the course and keeps working the way he's working, he can break some records next year. All right. Well, Damari, appreciate it, man. Thanks for taking the time, and uh, definitely best of luck here in a couple weeks. I appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Damari. Right. We'll talk to you. Damari Crockett, one of many uh, Missouri NFL draft hopefuls. And like, just kind of wrapping this up real quick, I feel like that's Missouri fans needed to hear some of that from him. Like, this yeah. wasn't a, hey, I'm, I'm a malcontent. Things aren't – he just – this was his plan, and, hey, when you're a running back, you only got so many carries in you. Right, yeah, and I think, you know, the, the coaching staff was was honest in that it, it caught them a little bit off guard, uh, I think mainly because of the, the kind of the feedback that, that he heard from the NFL Draft Advisory Board, but they never said that there was a, a bad relationship there, and, you know, he kind of echoes the same thing, and, and it is a little bit different at running back where, you know, we've seen time and time again guys can make it without necessarily being a high draft pick or being drafted at all. So, uh, look, it's been a hugely long podcast. Conzo Martin, Robin Pinchton, Demaria Crockett, thanks to all of them. You guys don't need to hear any more from us. Thanks once again to uh, Shakespeare's Pizza Events and Catering, our sponsor, Shakespeare's.com. We will have that uh, linked in, on the podcast page. You definitely can find that. And, again, like use Google, get in your car. You can find Shakespeare's <laughs> in Columbia. There's three of them. So go find that. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week.